You're listening to The Plug with Neil Griffiths. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of The Plug Podcast with me, Neil Griffiths. Thanks for listening wherever you are listening to the episode. And thank you if you checked out last week's episode uh, with Winston McCall from Parkway Drive. The response to that episode was awesome. Obviously, Parkway Drive are the biggest heavy metal band Australia's ever really had. So the natural progression from that is to interview someone in the dance scene. This week, I'm joined by Chris Emerson, or What's So Not, to coincide with his new album, Anomaly. It is out right now. Ideally, you will listen to it after this episode. It's a nice little segue. This album is so much fun. It's so positive. It's so upbeat. Uh, Fans will obviously have heard a few songs from this. The album has got some killer names on there. There's DMAs. There's Oliver Tree. There's M.O. There's Killer Mike. I sat down with Chris from his LA studio to talk about the album, how it came together, and also about the Australian dancing. It feels like there has never been a better time for Australian dance acts who are killing it here and overseas. We spoke a lot about that and where this scene is going. So check it out. Here is What's So Nut on the plug podcast all right we're recording and i'm welcoming to the plug podcast for the very first time chris emerson what's so not sir welcome to the Woo. show thank you thanks for having me thanks for coming on man um i i believe we're, we're on zoom you look to be in a studio of sorts where are you it's look it is a studio of sorts it's not fantastic <laughs> it's uh, there's this horrible resonance actually right behind with the camera and that is striking my left ear and bugging the shit out of me but i'll deal with it i'm making do i'm in la i've got this like i'm living in this area that's like okay but it's really cheap and that makes sense because i'm in here 30 percent of the time Mm -hmm. i'm jumping around the world again because touring is happening so yeah just all those things but i got i trust the ms20 couple other little toys back here Mm. i've got um these iLoud speakers that are just punching above their weight so hard i love them but yeah, that's that's the little rundown studio, dude. We're we're forty eight hours away from the album release as we record this. Why the fuck are you in a studio again? Just relax, take some time off. Oh, you can't relax, <laughs> particularly not album week or album fucking year. Yeah. <laughs> it's so relaxing. <laughs> it's just chaos. It's like I'm I'm doing like because I'm doing stuff like interviews, um, sessions, whatever here all day. And then Australia wakes up and they're like, okay, now it's time for your Australia interview. Great. But it's just, you know, it's nonstop. I, I was I was, I was, was looking at like your tour dates coming out. I just said right before we started that you're in LA right now. You're going to be in New York in a couple of days. I think you play in Bali in a week or so, then shows in yes. Thailand, then Europe. So just just to give some context to you, you're in LA 30% of the time, your, your, your percentage here. Where are you mm. normally based outside of touring? Oh, that's my life. <laughs> Touring is my life. So I live, I live on the planes and <laughs> on the boats and in the cars um, and the, the tour buses. And then uh, every now and again, I get to sleep. What a, what, I love that you're staring at me just going, that's the answer to that question. Next. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, dude, we, we are, again, two days away from album release. How are you feeling uh, second album, man, anomaly. First in second album, but first in four years. How are we feeling? Are you, are you nervous? Are you are you chill? I'm I'm actually really chill, and I think that is because I don't know if I could be happier with how the album sounds, um, and I don't know if I'll ever make an album 
of this kind of quality again, simply because of the amount of time I had to come back to it and rethink it. And you wouldn't believe, maybe you would from speaking to so many artists, how many of us put something out and we're like, ah, fuck, I wish I'd dropped that song off or I wish mm. I'd changed that. Or I would, I've just had so much time to run those processes in my head that I'm just so happy and satisfied with it. And so at peace with how it sounds and what it is and what every song wants to be. Um, so yeah, it's, I'm, I'm actually feeling pretty chill. Yeah. I mean, I, I, for the love of God, let's not talk about COVID, but obviously you said you've had a lot of time to sit on these songs and, and do more with them, obviously because of the pandemic. Has that mm. been a blessing and a curse in the sense that you've, you, let's just say you finish a song, you love it. Three months goes by, six months goes by. And you're like, you know what? This song shit. I got to go again. Yeah, that happens. That's like what I do like <laughs> for years. Like you work on songs. I work on songs at least for years. There's very few songs. I'm like, yeah, that's it. Okay, put it out. Like that doesn't happen to me very often. I'm like, ah, I've got this and this and this, and this is fantastic. This bit needs some work. I don't even know what genre that is or what drums to use from there or what to reference. So I'm going to bench that one. Because, you know, I'll make like, sometimes I'll make like a song a day if I'm really on or right. a couple of songs a day. Um, well, like, they're just like ideas, loops. And is it... Am I focusing on a, a fantastic impact moment or am I, you know, front to back, like writing out the chords, the pre-chorus, whatever the verse? It just really depends on the mood. It's sort of like, uh, you know, this is a, a crazy little wild idea that I know will go for festivals or like this is a really good song that people might like to listen to that's a little more down-tempo and chill. Um, yeah. I saw in the some PR in the lead up to this album, you said that Anomaly feels like a new lease on life for you. What does that mean? I think I, I've actually just in the last few weeks sort of been contemplating this idea of that I'm, I'm now in my second life. I had my first life and now I've, I've gone to my second life. Like, is this like <laughs> Pokemon, like you've evolved or is this like just a spiritual thing? Well, I've definitely evolved. And yeah, probably. Um, I think my first album was, was more of a therapy. I was very sad and dealing with a lot of really problematic situations and just putting that into the music. I was, I mean, when I was making that, I was also like avoiding the sound that um, for the most part started this project with, I, you know, I, I wasn't as in love with DJing back then anymore, which is such a big part of me and such a big part of where I am now. Uh, some of it was, you know, the times and circumstantial and, and just dependent on the landscape of music and where it was. Um, and everything is just almost opposite on this album. I'm invigorated. I'm, I think a lot more confident in, and I have so much more um, like studies under my belt in my craft. And I think the time of COVID gave me a lot of, uh, gave me the ability to really dive into things in a way that was so much harder when I was living that manic touring life. Um, so this one is just, you know, I don't think I'd ever considered doing a breaks track. And then I did that with the change and there's like a, a, a sort of, what do they call it? Uh, like half step hyper pop sort of fusion with Halifax um, mm. belting singing with my vocals that I didn't even know I could do on the intro on a live. <laughs> um, there's like a, a quintessential what's so not kind of build up drop and then beautiful moment with Daniel John singing an ad lib, not even listed on the track in Anomaly. Mm. Like it's just, it's really got everything that I could dream of. And I think everything that I could have wanted 
it to be if you know, as a young producer thinking about a, a dream album. Looking back at that first album, obviously with the with the benefit of hindsight, do you know why, or can you pinpoint why you? At some point, felt like you were done with DJing, or you didn't love it as much as you probably should. I think it shifted from it shifted from the SoundCloud world to you know what it became. Right, and SoundCloud world was young kids doing things wrong, but then finding something insane in those moments, and then putting a one and a half minute track up online. Everyone commenting at the different parts and what they thought at different moments. Taking those ideas doing something that built on top of that and then reposting that and then the original person hearing that and then doing it was like this circle of innovation. Yeah. And that wasn't happening anymore. So I kind of lost motivation in in that sort of scene, you know, and that was my scene. Mm. So I was really hunting for something to do. And that's why the last album was like, it was a little more cinematic. I was listening to lots of film scores when I was doing it. And, you know, sometimes there's no drums for like, a minute uh, i think us was like there was just this little percussion loop going for about two minutes before there was even like a kick drum and snare that kicked in um and again like post covid i did that uh what they called like the first festival back in the world the castaway over in, in wa when it was the only place yeah open. i remember that yeah and and I, I you know tiktok had come in as the new platform and i was like oh what a you know it's been two years since or been a, at that point like a year since i've done a show like what is the pop culture of now? And I made a few TikTok edits that sampled like little parts of those jingles. And I would, and when I played them in that set, I saw the attention span hype screaming yell for three seconds or so. And then nothing like there was no connection at all from anyone in that audience to that record. It was only that one little moment and they probably got their phone out to film it and then they stopped caring. Mm. Um, but I would play like an unreleased drum and bass record and they would lose their minds and dance for the entirety of the song screaming and cheering. And I was like, wow, this is, I feel like we've, we've gone so small in our attention span that finally people are just hungry and thirsty for the unknown and they're going to react to it and they're going to sit in it and they're going to live in it and they're going to be a part of it instead of just chopping and changing constantly in these little sort of microsecond clickbaits. That's kind of the weirdness of TikTok now, right? Like I've, I've spoken on this podcast a few times. It's almost like the new album. Like I know that if getting a hit on TikTok, getting numbers up on TikTok is equally, if not more important than streaming numbers. Because if you get a hit on TikTok, you're a hit. Does that, do you hate that idea or have you come around to like, it's it's useful? But I mean, are you a hit? Because what I'm seeing... Right. I, hey, I'm, some, I'm on that side <laughs> of the fence. <laughs> no, but like, yeah, what I'm seeing is even my friends who've had like songs that have popped up on there, they get a moment, but they don't get a career. They don't get longevity. They don't get authentic fandom. They, you become a meme and you become a meme for a hot minute and then it fades out. And it's because pop, pop culture in that sense I don't think invests in artists. You're on this little <laughs> hype wagon, but the hype wagon is just going to whatever's hyped at that moment. Yeah. And it'll be off you in three days time and on to the next. And it's not like there's people that are having songs that blow up and they can't even sell like 500 tickets. And they've got like, you know, one of the biggest songs in the world. And that's insane to think that mm. there is that much disconnect between, you know, what is 
popular and what people actually want to put their money on and go and be a part of. Do you get told by your own team, like, hey, we need to put some time into social media? Or do you just say, fuck off, I'm, I'll do the music and what happens will happen? Yeah, they fucking tell you that like every day. <laughs> <laughs> like, like I went, like during COVID, I didn't post on Instagram for I think like seven months. Like I just, I was just not even, I, I didn't even use my phone. My phone went down to I think one and a half hours usage per week. You know, they give you that summary. That was how little I was on there. And it was a big adjustment when I had to click back into reality. And I'm like, oh, I'm doing shows. I got to tell people what I'm doing. I got to talk to people again. And um, yeah, it's just crazy to be see how quickly the shift went. I mean, I, I got forced sort of into TikTok. And then once I got into it, I was like, oh, wow, there's actually, this is a pretty fun space if mm-hmm. you're not taking it seriously. But like TikTok for me, it's not even like me as an artist it's just me making funny little edits of videos of things that happen that are interesting in my day like i put something up about music and like general population doesn't care about music like that it's like music fans that care about music so it's not really an app the the app is sort of built in the reverse of instagram instagram is the people that follow you see what you do on a micro scale because it only pushes out to part of your fan base and if you do something really, really clever in its structure, then it's going to kick off the algorithm and engage a few more people. But it still doesn't like doesn't even hit the explore page that often unless it's something external to you. But then TikTok is built like I look at my stats and it's ninety nine percent explore page or for you page and one percent following. So it's kind of the opposite, and you have to think about it in the opposite way. You always have to start with the answer of what your situation is, or like a partial answer to grab everybody in. And then take them down the track of who you are because they literally don't know. They don't even follow you. Mm. And then you have to go into this intellectual and interesting detail about why that's the partial answer (laughs) and give them the full answer and then let it loop back around. Right. It's just like a whole different structure. And like, I'm not yet even, there's a couple of bangers I've had. I think I have one that has like, I don't know, seven and a half million plays with one of my songs on it. But, like, it's really hard to nail all those little uh, elements to make it kick off in that fashion. Yeah. That's a whole other, like, way of explaining TikTok. I've learned so much from that. Yeah. I mean, I've been, like, I finished the album and turned it in late last year because vinyl takes so long to print. (laughs) And I spent my entire studio hours instead looking at this app and understanding (laughs) people's behaviors in it. And it is so depressing. But also extremely hilarious because I do love a bunch of the content on there. It's so funny. It's like I get the the benefits of TikTok and like it can get more eyeballs on you. But like you said, are you getting more eyeballs on you forever or just because you did one thing one time? Like you don't hear those older established acts. Like you're not going to hear a Foo Fighters or a Bruce Springsteen be told, hey, man, you need to get on TikTok or you're going to fall behind. I miss those days. I mean, there's acts like that getting on there and like having a resurgence. You know, there's this TikTok is nostalgia, you know? Yeah. So it's it's heavily focused. I think it's one of the main reasons new music is suffering right now is because it is all about the cover, the bootleg, the familiarity flipped into something that is a little bit different for now. Um, it's just a phase of, of time, a phase of social behavior, you know? So... That that is sort of factual. What I'm seeing is like new music is hard right now. Old music is easy. 
Yeah. It's interesting as well because I remember a couple of years ago when um, Bag Raiders big hit shooting stars, that started becoming a meme. The good side is it's got eyeballs on Bag Raiders. Was that sustained? I'm not so sure. But I'm not going to be against anyone listening to Bag Raiders because I fucking love Bag Raiders. Exactly. Bag Raiders are the best. Yeah. They inspired us all to start what we're doing. <laughs> yeah. What, what, what is your take on Australian music right now? Because just thinking about, like, you've obviously got huge dates coming up. I saw Rufus in New York like three months ago. They played a venue called Forest Hill Stadium, which is like 15,000 venue. Um, you know, you've got fishes blowing up in America and overseas. But now I've obviously got a whole new lease on life with that Elton John remix. Oh, has, yeah. a, has Australian dance music ever been in such a... I guess, healthy state and the, the trajectory seems to just keep going up. Honestly, I, I feel like it's been a constant. Like mm. there was that modular era with the presets, cut copy, Bindo Juggernauts um, and, and all of that. Mm-hmm. And they had a real moment. And, and then I think we had a bit of a dip where we didn't have anything for a couple of years. And then my whole scene came up and then that became huge and including like the Chet Fakers and, and so forth. Sure. Um, Tame Impala was sort of always in the back and then sort of got even bigger through that next phase. And then I think we had a dance music kickoff again with uh, Rufus and Fisher and Dom Dollar. Mm. So like, it's just been these constant, like it slightly goes down and then just kicks off again with somebody else who's on a, a, a different like tier of the same organism. Yeah, and I don't want to take a shot at any Australian dance fans right now, but does this, do you reckon Australian dance fans are as supportive as overseas fans? And by that, I mean, say, like, obviously, you're sometimes based in LA. Adam Hyde from Peking Duck, he's based in LA a lot. Empire of the Sun, when they play in America, they played, like, three sold-out shows at the Hollywood Bowl, which is, like, one of the most iconic venues ever. That's not to say Australia doesn't love these acts, but is there, I don't know, do, do US fans or European fans get behind it more than Australians probably should? I don't think so. I think Australians are actually really switched on with their taste. And mm. because we're an island, we look out to everything else in the world, whereas sometimes uh, countries become a bit nationalist and they're like, this is our thing, this is what we like. Mm. Um, and I, I think that just means Australians, you know, move on to something cool a lot faster than other countries. You've got some ridiculous names on this on this album. We've obviously heard some tracks, obviously the change with DMAs, who for people who might not know, are a, I guess you would call them an indie alt Sydney band. You've got Oliver Tree, Killer Mike, M.O. Talk to me about these names. How do you get in a room with them? Is it almost like a literal fanboy moment when you're like, hey, I really like that guy. Do you DM him? Does someone get you their number? How does that work? I, I honestly, like, I don't care for the size of people's projects. I will literally hit up anybody who I hear do something cool. I'll be like, hey, this thing was dope. It really inspired me. I love it. Thanks for doing it. Like, mm. thanks for just doing whatever you're doing. And I meet a lot of people like that. Sometimes we end up working together. Sometimes we don't. And that's how a lot of, I'd say a lot of my collaborations happen. Um, Oliver was one of those. Oliver, like, he, I think he hadn't even put out his first EP when I hit him up. Wow. And, and yeah, I'd, I'd heard something that he'd done. And then a friend was actually um, mixing the EP. And I was like, oh, wow, this is really weird. I, like, heard about this guy. And uh, I saw that um, Alien Boy music video before it even came out. And I was like, oh, my God, this is so cool. Like, this guy's a genius. Um so, like, you know, the, the, he's big now, but, like, back then he was just a guy doing something fucking cool. 
And like when I got in the studio with him, he was an absolute beast, like freestyled that entire track, like front to back, never even heard the beat before. And I was like, fuck, this guy is going to be giant. Um, which is partly why it took so long to get the song out because I had to wait for like <laughs> an, a window, a window amongst the major label, you know, situation of who owes people money for the releases and where there's a space to put something out that's independent. Yeah. How, how long do, yeah. does that take? Like, as you just said, the, with Oliver Tree there, like, can you do a song with somebody that could not see the light of day for 12 months, possibly even two years? Yeah, I mean, that one was four years. We did that in, wow. like, in 2018 or 2000. I think it was 2018 we did that one. And yeah, it happens all the time, like all the time. I had, I had that song go with Skrillex. I, I, like, started the first demo for Groove in the Moo 2014. It was, like, the, the show intro, and then it came out of my album in 2018. The diversity on this album as well is, is pretty incredible as far as the, the guests that you're working with. Is that a premeditated thing that you just want to get the coolest people from all these different genres or is that just, you know, your personal taste and you wanting to work with these different people? I just, I, you know, I only work with people who I really like. I only work with people whose music I really, really like. And I also have to get into the room with them and like them as a person. I always have this rule, like, if you work with someone and you can't imagine living on a bus tour together for three months, then you shouldn't work with them because that might happen. Right. <laughs> okay, sure. Okay. <laughs> how, how often is that? I mean, you don't have to name names, but has that happened where you're like, "Oh, this guy's a dick." Forget about this. Yeah, that happens. That happens a lot. I like, I generally have a good radar for it. Yeah. But also, I don't go. Some people do this thing. They go like feature chasing, where they're like, "Here's 40k. Throw your name on it. I'll send you the beat. I don't even have to know what you record. Just yeah. like send it. Okay, cool. Now I'm this name, and you're that name, and two plus two equals twenty heaps of playlisting bang but like that is part of that hype train where you start to be like okay are people here for this song and what this is about and just do i even connect with this message does it even align with what i'm about mm. or are they here because it's these two names and they're just here for a moment and they're going to dip out and not give a shit in like you know six months yeah so your rule is you need to be in the studio with them there's none of this like i'll just send you the beat you do your verse we'll never meet and we could possibly have one of the biggest hits of all time yeah i've i've almost never released a song like that i love that um yeah like i write with the people i write with and even if like quite often i'm doing lyrics and melody too but even if they are doing it we always start it from like a moment that we both resonate in we have a conversation about a place and an idea of where we might have both been and then we build it out from there so it's it's always this synchronous concept and a, and a bit of a brain tentacle between us um and i you know there's definitely top liners i work with that are much stronger writing top lines than me um and that is why i like to bring people in that do that i can write them myself and i do and i have um, but I do like to, like, I like to bring the best of what are my weaknesses in, you know? Mm. And like, I'll, I'll have a song, a perfect example is Halifax. So I made that first idea on the MS-20 with just a bunch of harmonics. Um, and uh, a friend Ramzoid actually did the vocal and then we did a couple of percussion things together and whatever. And it was this great idea. It was really exceptional. That whole intro bit with the Kanye sort of style beginning. Um, but I was like, it's not it yet. Like, it's great. It doesn't hit right. And then, um, I just hit up this young Sydney guy, Tech Genesis, who I really, really love and love a bunch of his songs. I was like, 
man, you are a beast at at types of sounds that I don't even know how to do yet with wavetabling. Do you want to come and jam on this thing with us and see if we can take it to a different place? And one of the first things he did, he sped it up like, I think, 25 BPM, which is like a giant increment of speed. And then suddenly I'm like, oh, wow, this is like a drum and bass kind of tempo now. And I would never have done that without him. And it was just, it's, it's like, I think so essential in music to put great minds together and push yourself to places you didn't think to go mm. and then come out with such a fantastic result. It's, it's, it's very exciting because again, like talking to you about that first album, the second album that you can tell, like it, it is a, it is a, for lack of a better term, it's a happier album, right? You're obviously yes. in a much happier place. You're very excited about these songs. You do have a shitload of, of tour dates coming up now. How can you, uh, I suppose, maintain that, um, that hard work drive and and making music when you're on the road, just because I've just examples that come to mind. Like I've had Steve Aoki on this podcast and, you know, he plays mm. like over 300 shows a year. I've had fat boy slim tell me that, you know, the whole game changed for him when he went sober, like he's having to go play in Ibiza at 4am and he's stone cold sober. How do you maintain mm. that? I guess that positivity, that hard work drive and, and when you're, when you're traveling so heavily and, and performing so much. I never had a problem with the positivity and I never had a problem with the work drive on tour. It was more the literal limited amount of time you had to do anything. Right. Like I kind of looked at my life in like 20 minute blocks and I I remember like there was this one trip I did to Nicaragua, which is where I used to go a lot to sort of just, I got a reset for a couple of days and just work on some songs and chill. Yeah. And I I remember I went there once um, when I was about to write, the first album and I was sitting in the common area like you know sun just sort of coming in the sides but in the shade there just hanging out and I was I was just sitting there for like maybe 20 minutes and I was like oh wow I just got bored and I haven't been bored <laughs> in four years wow. like literally it was an it was an emotion I hadn't experienced for four years it was that was being bored and I was I was like I started like giggling, like, oh my God, I finally got bored. Like I haven't like relaxed enough to get bored in four yeah. years. Yeah. Like that's the kind of life it was. Yeah. Um, but like, I, I think I have a lot more under my belt now going into what I do next. And also like, I, there was periods where I had to like fight for my own existence in this career. And there was periods where I really had to fight to develop myself Mm-hmm. in a way that I was satisfied with and as much as I'm always going to do that and and you know strive to be better than I ever was um I don't think there's as much of fighting as there is a more of choices that I need to make now like what do I I'm accomplishing here and here and here and here now where is my energy best put now that I'm at that point and how do I take this knowledge that I have under my belt and this experience and apply it in the best ways so I, I, I just, there's so much to learn. Like you have to understand lighting. You have to understand visuals. You have to understand people. You have to understand how to work with other creatives in different fields and have everybody streamline the vision so that it comes together. You have to understand when to cut people off. You have to understand when to help people through a rough patch and get to a better place. You have to understand when they're not going to get through it and you've got to move on to something else. Like it's, it's really, really brutal um, and complex, a complex system of, you know, I have like probably 60 different people that I work with around the world and you have to like maintain relationships and understanding and 
I don't just mean like friendship relationships. I mean like creative relationships. Mm. Like you have to make sure you're all on the same wavelength and you'll have the same passion and you're heading to the same place and you're all on the cusp of the new technologies and everything that's coming in and have some connection with some brand that's developing something that nobody's seen before and we want you to be the sound of that and let's go and, you know, it's, it's all of these things that are so complicated. That's a wild time. That just sounds, that sounds terrifying if I'm honest. <laughs> Yeah, that's why it's like I, I got excited when I got bored for the first time. In Fuck yes. Yeah. So, I hate asking this question now after that, but like, are you even thinking about album number three? Are you just going to just enjoy being on tour? I'm sure you still have tracks that you want to drop here and there, but do you, is that even something that's on the cards right now or is it just get this album out and just, I guess, tour the fucking world for a little bit? I think this album to me is the end of albums. I think albums are wow. about to be done. Yeah. Um, I think they don't, they're not functional with the way the world is now. Um, I have been working on a 3D animated film for three years and this album is actually the score of that. And it's wow. been a bit of a complicated process to see that from front to back, but I'm getting actually really close right now. Yeah. Um, it's, it's part of why I have some shows up. Uh, but it's nowhere near the type of tour I would usually do is because I've been building something quite exceptional and complicated that is very hard to execute. And I'm, I'm it's almost like the infrastructure is not there and it has not caught up with the tech in order to be able to tour this concept. Right. And it, it's a bit of a waiting game, a bit of a resource finding game um before i can really build what i want to build and put it on show but i i'm not even thinking about albums now i'm thinking about that that's right and, and i imagine when you say you're working on a 3d animated film this is not like toy story 5 is it it's my own film my own story that uh, i've created with creative directors and uh visual builders and it's very intricate and very interesting and you can see a little glimpses of it in some of the visualizers we've been putting up mm -hmm. and the dma's clip and the fng clip um i thought it was a dma's clip yeah <laughs> yeah it's 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 a ginormous task um but I, I i am building a show that i don't think anyone's done before uh but i don't want to talk too much about it until i've really got it under my belt and confident in how we are going to execute it all right, cool. We'll come back on the podcast when that happens, man. Um, congr you. Congratulations, though, dude. This album is is awesome. It's everything that you've said it was, um, which is rare for an artist to do. It's like, this album is this thing. It's fucking happy. It's positive. It's absolutely an involvement on on album number one. Congratulations, man. You de you deserve uh, this you. one to be a biggie, and I can't wait for everyone to hear it. Good luck with the tour, and we'll, um, we'll catch up soon, dude. Man, thank you so much. That was awesome, Neil. That was great, man. So good. This episode is proudly sponsored by Audio-Technica Australia. Subscribe, rate, and review The Plug on your preferred podcast platform and follow us on Instagram and YouTube at The Plug with Neil Griffiths and on TikTok at theplug.podcast to stay up to date with episode releases and giveaways.